welcome to the Chapman CG Podcast, inspiring and informative conversations with top HR leaders from around the world. A good HR leader has a solid understanding of business operations and objectives, but to be an effective HR leader, not only do you have to understand the basic principles of the organization, but also know how to strategically help business leaders achieve future growth. I'm here with Alison James, Chief HR Officer at Society Pick, to understand and discuss how to build a great HR career and become an effective leader. Uh, Alison, thank you very much. Thanks for uh, having me. I'm delighted to be here. Wonderful. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and your role at Pick. So um, I'm British of origin. I've uh, got a career in HR of um, more than 25 years. I stopped counting after 25. Um, and BIC is um, a delightful business um, that's existed since 1945 uh, in the FMCG space. Many of you may be aware of our brands. We make uh, stationary products, disposable razors and lighters, um, and we also have um, an advertising and promotional products uh, division where you can imprint your logos or your brands onto our products and other products. So my role is to head up the HR function globally. We do over 2 billion euros um, of, uh, of business. We have over 17,000 people globally. Um, and we do business in about 160 countries, um, and we actually employ mm-hmm. folks in over 57. So. Um, it's really a classic uh, CHRO role to develop the HR strategy, mm. the tools, the processes, etc., um, to help support the execution of the business objectives globally. Well, wonderful, thank you. I'm, I'm personally, I've used your product for uh, for many years, so I'm very, very aware of BIC uh, as a business. I'm sure many people are. Um, sure. You have a truly global background. Um, you have a fantastic sort of background in terms of ge- geographical diversity as well. Um, in your opinion, uh, what, are, what are the necessary skills that make an effective HR leader in today's market? So, I, you know, I think there's sort of table stakes skills, and then there's things that differentiate, you know, really great leaders. So the table stakes skills I won't go into. It's really the functional expertise you bring to the table, being able to add value immediately because of your functional or your technical knowledge. Um, more critical uh, for me in today's market, given the amount of change, is this idea of, of your business orientation. So really being to, able to get very close to the business strategy, where's the business going, what are the future capabilities, and being able to quickly do a diagnostic to really assess where are the gaps. Where are the gaps both now? Where will the gaps be in the future? How do you get ahead of them? Um, and how do you build capabilities to address those gaps. And, and when I use the word capabilities, I'm not just talking about the people, but I'm talking about people, process, technology, you know, how all of that kind of comes together uh, to build uh, to build capabilities. And, and so that's, I suppose I have this point of view where it's kind of an organization development view of the role, right? Being able to diagnose mm-hmm. and, and diagnose, do a diagnostic um, and then essentially to take the right, um, the right approach um, to to put the plans in place. So there are a lot of specific competencies that come with that. Um, and I, and I, I think there are probably two or three that are critical. First of all, agility. Um, mm-hmm. Context change very quickly. Business goals change very quickly. So being able to anticipate when you need to change tracks, when you need to do something differently, when you need to adjust your goals um, is critical. Um, 
this idea of experimentation I'm trying to introduce a little bit with my team now, it's it's this concept of trying new things, being ready to fail, not obsessing over the failure, but learning from right. it, and then moving on to the next uh, the next thing. And then finally, courage. Um, you know, the great HR leaders that I know are people who've taken some big risks and some small risks, um, but right. they're also courageous in the sense of they, they just call out the stuff that's not working or that's not right. Mm-hmm. And that, that that sort of calling stuff out, it may come from intuition. It may come from true data analytics, looking at data to see what's going on in the organization. Or it may just come from the depth of the relationships that they have with their businesses so that they've got that kind of early sensing system of, of what's going on yeah. in their organization. Um, so, you know, increasingly, um, we, we need to, yes, continue to invest in our own functional competence, but more importantly, invest in how does that translate, um, how, does the, how do the business needs get translated at a very practical level. And as a, with a truly, you know, diverse global population as well, and you know, yourself obviously having worked across multiple geographies, how, how important, you know, to be that effective leader is, is overseas experience? Well, I, you know, I think the first and easy answer is to say it's critical and everybody must work in a different country and what have you. But, you know, there's obviously perhaps some people listening to this podcast that are in single country um, organizations. And so what's yeah. more important for me is this ability to assimilate differences, flex your style and kind of adjust your rhythm or your way of working um, so that you can make the right decisions and so you can make decisions in the face of uncertainty or without full data and full analytics. Um, so for me personally, my overseas experiences, you know, I've worked in the UK, I've worked in France, I've worked in mm-hmm. China, I've worked in the US, and, and I've done a lot of facilitation and, and group working um, in many and many other countries. For me, it's what's framed my career. I mean, it's what's been the most useful, right. um, and it's where my my passion is. Um, but that's that might be different for other people. So what I would say is, more importantly, really focus on how how do you work w- in an inclusive way with people from many many different backgrounds, and how do you pull the best out of people uh, when there are differences, and especially in group settings, how do you facilitate those conversations when there are differences? so that you get the best out of people. Mm. And would you say that's sort of equally true then of somebody that's been within a, a single organization throughout their entire career rather than the sort yeah. of mix of, of different companies and industries? Yeah, I, I think so because, you know, on the one hand, when you've moved across different companies, it 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 demonstrates flexibility, it demonstrates the ability yeah. to assimilate into into new organizations. But when you have been in a, in, in a one um in a, in a one society or a one uh, business um, area, then you, you at the end of the day, you, you can still have that breadth of being able to work with different and diverse people by nature of the experiences that you have, right? So many mm-hmm. people, I mean, here at BIC, there are some fantastic HR talents who have only worked at BIC, and they've worked at BIC for 25 years or 30 years, right. and they are doing a fantastic job of really being able to um, assimilate working with different types of people, working with different teams. They're building global mm-hmm. careers, given the nature of, of our organization, and as long as they're continuing to learn and continuing to show um, that that growth, um, mm-hmm. I'm perfectly happy and would love for them to stay for the rest of their career at right. BIC. You know, they've got a huge 
wealth of institutional knowledge. Um, and I think sometimes we 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 don't always respect and and pull from the institutional knowledge that comes when people have stayed in one company for a long period of time. Um, at BIC, we have this expression, honor the past, invent the future. And I really like that because it really allows us to pull from what's best of the past and honor it, but at the same time simultaneously have this eye on the future um, for what we need to mm. develop to continue the growth of the organization. Well, that's a fantastic ethos yeah, to, to have um, yeah. because you know, that sort of works very well. Um, are, there, are there sort of key things, I mean, obviously outside of those that sort of practical steps that that HR practitioners may take to help build their careers and credibility? Are there sort of key milestones that you've identified over over time? I, th- I think that, you know, for those who are earlier in their career, what I would suggest is it's really important and useful to rotate early on. So yeah. don't get sort of pinholed into, oh, I'm a generalist and I only want to be a generalist or I'm a recruiter and I only want to be a recruiter. Um, even if you are not attracted to the specialist functions or the centers of expertise functions, then take take a risk and try try it. You know, going to do a compensation analyst role for 18 months, two years, or even three years is, is not going to kill you, even if you don't like working with numbers. It will actually really help yeah. because you've worked on both sides of the of the uh, of the roles, i.e., both in a, in a generalist and a specialist. You you certainly can can really appreciate what the other side is is going through. Um, The other thing I would say for HR people, and and this is sometimes hard to do when you start in the HR function, but I'm personally um, fairly biased towards people who've worked outside of HR, especially to get significant um, HR, uh, sorry, line management experience, so management experience. So really managing a team, you know, jobs in customer service or operations management, are where you can cut your teeth on managing people and then you bring to the coaching and the help that you give your your line manager clients in the HR world, you just bring a different level of experience and a different level of empathy towards what people are going through. Um, And then I would also say we shouldn't be um, leaving roles too early. Um, You know, very Mm. often people want to kind of suck the learning out of a job and then 18 months or 12 months move on to the next thing. We have this expression of eating the cake we bake. You know, we should, right. especially if we're in the, in a specialist function. I think it's a great idea to to stay through two cycles of whatever process you own, you own, whether that's a salary increase cycle, whether it's a um, a talent management cycle or talent review um, cycle, and really ensure that what you're advocating and what you're putting forward is simple, is practical, is embedded in the business, and is usable. Um, especially for specialist roles, too often we can sit in our ivory towers and throw throw something out there at the, at the business mm. and, and if you haven't really lived with it and seen how successful it has been embedded in the business, we, we can't tell whether it's added value or not. Well, thank you very much. That's, that's very really very helpful and you mentioned some yeah. fantastic insights there and a good a good amount of food for thought for people looking at sort of, you know, their careers and, and what sort of next steps to take and they're really interesting in terms of the operational mix and management experience sort of early on and they're willing to sort of take a chance. So thank you very much for your, for your time, Alison. That's been great. Um, sure. That was Alison James, uh, CHRO at Bit Group, uh, discussing how to best build a great HR career and become an effective leader. Thank you, Alison. You're very welcome. Thank you. For more excellent conversations from Chapman CG, follow our podcast series or check us out at chapmancg.com.